Blog Talk Radio. First, there was a dream. Now, there is reality. Who is number one? Africa's reascension is number one. for us to understand how we were recultured and reorganized. We are not uncultured simply because we don't have African culture. You see, we have been what? Recultured and rearranged and restructured. You see, and we must understand in depth how that restructuring took place and how it expresses itself in us and in the way we relate to each other. You see, because it is this reculturation ultimately that means we must do what? We must reconstruct. We must tear down. We must remove outside of ourselves. So it's not enough to say what we have been acting as a people. A high African culture what? Taken away from our people. But we must come to understand how we have been newly created by another people. And how does that new creation under their power represent itself? in our personalities and in our social lives, in the way we think, in the way we behave, in the way we perceive the world, in the way we relate to each other and the whole day. Because it's, it's with that understanding that you design an educational curriculum for African children. The way the system of European control works is that you have to accept a concept of reality which makes them superior. If you deny that, their thing will not work. And they will lose their control. The white and their offspring understood that if we continue to practice our culture, that's when we always overthrew them anytime they invaded our country. Africa's reascension. Hetepu, Yumhotep, Indamana, Indamanesh, Nangadef. Majwo, Kedu, Habaragani, Salbona, Anisogoma, Kopango, Peace, War, War. Pan-African Greetings family, you've entered Africa's Reascension, and I am your host, Kamal McCasey Tahuti. We'll start our show as usual with an apai, a libation, which deliberately calls upon the energies of our African gods, our African spirit forces and the forces of those yet born to guide and bless this endeavor. Ago, 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 Odumakaman, and Yame, and Yame, Wa, Amen, Amenet, Mawulisa, Olorun, Amen Ra, Beje Yensa, Asasiya, Emsa, Abasum, Emsa. Abasun Po, Emsa. 
Nana Serge B inside. Nana Esiketwa inside. Nana Dada Kofi inside. Nana Tiga Ray. Nana Tiga Ray. Nana Tiga Ray inside. Nana Sankofa inside. Nana Abusi inside. Nana Isi inside. Nana Adro inside. Nana Adwa inside. Nana Bena inside. Nana Abena inside. Nana Wuku inside. Nana Kui inside. Nana Yao inside. Nana Ya inside. Nana Fi inside. Nana Afi inside. Nana Amen Min inside. Nana Amen Miniwa inside. Mojuba Shango. Mojuba Oya. Mojuba Oshun. Mojuba Ogun. Mojuba Alegba. Ancha Herek Tahuti. Ancha Herek Asar. Ancha Herek Aset. Ancha Herek Sekmet. Ancha Herek Heru Kahuti. Yeshrimo Yansa. Yeshrimo Ahudin. Yeshrimo Nchera. Yeshrimo Sikapa. Yeshrimo Nkwasu. Yeshrimo Nkwasu Avasuafau. Yea Nkwasu. As to you, Odomakuman, and Yame, and Yame Wa, Amen, Amenet, Mawulisa, Olorun, Amen Ra, Katawakata. Use me and this form to transmit clear African centered theoretical and practical information so those listening can use it for their own transformations back into the sovereign Africans they once were. May I speak directly to their soon soon, their spirit. Their Ori, their Kra, and their Krawa, their spiritual head, and their Ab, the heart, which for Kemet was the seat of intelligence. And may these words awaken the long, dormant, and asleep African inside of them. Kum Achiwarefo Yena O. Kum Aborofo Yena O. Kum Achiwarefo Yena O. Medasi Pa Medasi Bio Mo Biafo Mo Ne Casta Medasi Nanano Yo Medasi Nanano The apaya, a libation, is an ancient practice that is still done to this nanosecond in all rural traditional areas throughout the continent. Past, present, future become one as those of tomorrow look upon what we are doing now and drawing strength from and doing the rituals of yesterday.
vultures, step down and claim your story. Spirit of the dead, rise up. Lingering spirit of the dead, rise up and possess your vessel. Those tied, bound, and whipped from Brazil to Mississippi, step out and tell your story. Those in Jamaica, in the fields of Cuba, in the swamps of Florida, the rice fields of South Carolina, you waiting Africans, step out and tell your story. Spirit of the dead, rise up. Lingering spirit of the dead, rise up and possess your bird of passage. From Alabama to Suriname, up to the caves of Louisiana, come out, you African spirits. Step out and claim your stories. You raped, slave-bred, castrated, burned, tarred and feathered, roasted, chopped, lobotomized, bound and gagged, you African spirits, spirit of the dead, rise up, lingering spirit of the dead, rise up and possess your bird of passage. All right, welcome. Everyone, Africa's Reascension. Again, this is your host, Kamal McCasey Tahuti, and we have a phenomenal show in store for you today. I'm trying to remain calm because got got oh man. Not only is this a, a, a good friend of mine, but the the work he has authored has been so sorely needed in the um, African stolen African continental African community that it's it's just I'm chomping at the bit. So let's see, folks are starting to come in slowly but surely. Um, so we're gonna. Push forward. We're gonna push forward. So. Let's see. Yeah, no other. Hmm. Please continue to pick up my book, How to Make a Negro Christian, at um, lulu.com slash kamau, K-A-M-A-U-301. Um, until January 1st, midnight, it will be on sale, 20% off. Um, it's number 38 on Lulu and out of all of their books. So folks have been picking it up. We're knocking on 11,000 books sold, so let's please keep that momentum going. Also, my other book, African World Analysis, Volume 1, Issues 1 through 25, that one is also on sale 20% off until January 1st at midnight. So please check those out. Again, lulu.com slash Kamau, K-A-M-A-U-301. So let me go ahead and tonight we are going to talk, we're going to have the author. No, let me read from the show page. Let me do it right. We'll be doing the first monumental interview with author, dedicated race man, and Pan-Africanist, Jaja Malik Atenra, as he introduces his powerful book to the African world entitled Ma'atism, 
and indigenous African revolutionary ideology. What is Ma'atism? Why is it highly important to comprehend? Why does Ma'atism represent the highest form of black nationalism, communalism, and Pan-Africanism? These and many more questions will be answered as we discuss in depth this highly anticipated and greatly needed work. Brother Jaja Malik Atsinra is the founder and director of Sirius Research Institute. He has spent over 25 years researching African traditional political and socioeconomic systems. He is currently conducting research in the fields of social entropy, sub-quantum kinetics, and African fractals. Mr. Attenra has a Bachelor's of Arts degree in Anthropology, a Master's of Science degree in E-Commerce, and a Master's of Teaching degree in International Relations. So without further ado, let me go ahead and bring him on. Brother Jaja Malik Attenra, welcome to Africa's Real Center. Greetings, Pan-African family. Uh, it's an honor for me to be here and to at least uh, – I'm, I'm looking forward to getting a lot of calls and comments uh, about the work that I have authored and to push uh, the movement forward because I think we, we're probably getting a little stagnated in certain parts of the world. So uh, thank you, Brother Kamal, for having me on the show, and uh, let's get it started. All right. I like that. So let's jump right into it. Could you please share some? I mean, I read some of it, but that's the technical stuff. Can you share some of your your liberatory background and just how you got involved? Because I hate the word struggle. So how did you get involved in this African Victory March? Can you share some of that with our listeners? Well, yeah, let me start from the beginning. I was born in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, I now call home um, – Morocco, uh, I've since uh, relocated to the continent, and now I'm back over in the States uh, for a brief period of time, hopefully. And um, But it's been a long struggle. I mean, I went the long route. Um, graduated from high school, uh, joined the military, and uh, it is while I was in the military, I came across, you know, the philosophy, opinions of, Marcus Garvey, Message to the Black Man, a number of books that at a young age, around 18 or 19 years old, um, kind of opened my eyes uh, to the reality of what was going on in the world as it pertains particularly to African people. And then from there, um, got out of the military and ended up uh, in San Diego and uh went to San Diego City College where uh I ended up joining the uh, African Student Union uh and um there and eventually became president of the African Student Union uh and you know that was my introduction to kind of like the college life uh and everything so getting involved and then from there did a lot of community work um I was a member of the Pan-African Association of America. Um, had a, we started a uh, African Cultural Society or organization uh, in San Diego also uh, in between that. Went on to San Diego State 
uh, and also was a member of the African Student Union there, uh, and then later just went to grad school and got a number of degrees. Uh, but uh, by far, um, my biggest influence has been from the people I've met. I mean, one of the greatest honors in my life has been sitting under a tree uh, talking politics with uh, Kwame uh, Toure. Uh, nice. I've, I've sat and talked with Khalid Muhammad, uh, Elaine Brown, Master Naba, uh, some of the professors that have been influential is Professor Don Luke, Professor Nathan uh, Katunji, uh, and one of my um, mentors has been also with the Pan-African Association of America, Baye Kasbah Mira, uh, known as Dwayne Bradford also. So all of these individuals have shaped uh, my life in, in, in ways uh, that has gotten me to this point. And then when I decided to, uh, as I say, uh, relocate to the continent, I met a number of elders on the continent in various countries that actually took my consciousness to other heights and other levels that uh, I was unable to attain here in the States. So it's just been a number of people. And just in general also, lastly, having good friends, uh, that I've been able to bounce ideas off of over all these years uh, and being able to get, to see if I'm making some sense, <laughs> you know what I mean? So all of those <laughs> things have, 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 have shaped me in some way or another. All right, dude. Yeah, that is a, that is quite of a CV there. Um, have you have you still been so so you focused on on writing more since you've been bouncing around lately and synthesizing ideas to the printed word? Well, yeah, I mean that this book is a you know it didn't come all together in, at one moment. Uh, the ideas that uh, I've expressed in this book have been coming to me from the ancestors. Uh, from the universe, from a number of sources. And so the ideas didn't all come together at once. I mean, the the book started off, you know, on one end, the book started off being focused on Pan-Africanism. But then as I was going along, I realized that there needs to be something else, that we needed a, a alternative ideology for the 21st century. So I started moving into that direction, and it was just a number of things. Hopefully we can get into some of the things that shape my ideas as we get into the book, because if not, we'll be here all night if you just leave it to me <laughs> to try to explain to you how it came together. So, yeah, so Ma'atism, an indigenous African revolutionary ideology. Could you go ahead and briefly or mediumly walk us through the chapters in the book and some of the highlights, how they tie together? Right. So uh, for all the listeners out there, uh, the book will not be available until the um, – we're targeting the 25th of November, uh, 2017. Uh, so this is kind of like a preview to, to the book. 
so let's look at uh, some of the chapters <clears throat> in the book. And um, and I think the the first chapter is uh, the significance of culture. I and I and I think a number of authors, African centered authors, have wrote wrote about um, the significance of culture. Uh, and a lot of revolutionaries, in particular Amakar Cabral, had was really the one that really opened my eyes up to the significance of culture. Because coming up as a young, uh, you know, African-centered intellectual, uh, I didn't have a good view of the cultural, what we call cultural nationalists. You know, kind of picked that up from from uh, the Black Panther Party. Uh, so I was more focused on, on the politics uh, in, in particular, but also the economics. So the culture thing, yeah, it was important, but it wasn't high on the list. It was Amakal Cabral's work that really kind of cemented home that culture is, you know, as he would say, the first line of defense. And that if the culture is destroyed, if the culture is compromised, then right there, the people are going to be uh, open to being oppressed and subjugated by foreign uh, entities. So it was from that. So that first chapter is dealing with uh, the significance of uh, culture and uh, how um, how African traditional cultural practices and institutions were destroyed by foreign invaders, uh, uh, and and the role that culture plays in shaping uh, one's identity. So we 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 really should understand that by now, um, uh, how culture plays in shaping one's identity. So, and then from there we go to. Chapter 2, which would be Restoring the Status of African Women, I discussed the role that women have in transmitting culture to the children and their role uh, in providing, procuring food for the family in their traditional roles. But also, I point out the importance of the role of African women have played in traditional African societies. Like many of these societies, they, had, they were ruled by queens. And these queens, they fought foreigners. They, they, you know, unlike what we would see years later with the Caucasians and having their Queen Elizabeths and Queen Victorias and all of this nonsense, uh, right. African uh, cultural history has numerous examples of uh, African women leading the nation. And uh, we didn't need a women's rights movement to do it that is already embedded in our culture, that our women, uh, in a traditional sense, had an equal say in the affairs of the nation, of the people. And they, with their own innate abilities, they were able to take on roles that nowadays would be uh, considered uh, roles that are traditionally uh, held by men. So... That's why when you look at African history, you'll see your queen of Zingas and you'll see your queen of Santawas and you'll see just various uh, African women uh, leading the struggle 
against uh, oppression. Did you want me to pause, or you have any comment? You don't want me to keep going? No, no, go ahead, go ahead. You got the floor. Okay. And then uh, the third chapter, I'm dealing with African secret societies and oaths. And he, here in this chapter, I'm discussing the purpose and functions of secret societies and how they have been utilizing warfare by Africans. So secret societies is a big uh, cultural institution uh, in traditional African society. And so is oath-taking. So all of these are vital components, and they have been used historically to fight our enemies. And it's been used historically to unify the people. So I discuss uh, uh, those things in that third chapter. In the fourth chapter, uh, understanding the concept of Ma'at and Ma, uh, I I discussed the cosmological, religious, and philosophical definition of Ma'at and Ma'at. And then I point out some of the linguistic evidence uh, that reveals how this ancient uh, comedic concept of Ma'at is connected to other African cultures. So um, these these principles, these moral principles that we see in the Declaration of Innocence and, and this whole idea of living uh, a life that is in, in accordance with harmony and peace and balance and truth, it can also even today be it's embedded in a lot of other cultures. It might be under different names, but it's embedded in a lot of other cultures also. So I look at that and we talk about that. And all of these things are important before I get into actually uh, what the book is really, really about because I want to reconstruct uh, what what but deconstruct what they have been saying about our history and then reconstruct a a new idea to prepare us for uh, what I will get to later. Uh, And then in the uh, fifth chapter, uh, I'm going into entropy and open systems. I discuss the meaning and scientific understanding of entropy, uh, boundaries, and dissipative structures, and then how entropy from more powerful nations are dissipated to African nations. So we'll get into that a little bit later. Sixth chapter, I go into uh, attaining revolutionary consciousness, how individuals attain revolutionary consciousness, and and discuss some of the tactics uh, that are used to prevent revolutions from occurring. And then in the seventh oh. chapter, uh, it's entitled Towards a Ma'atan Cultural Revolution. And in this chapter, I discuss and, def- and define Ma'atism and, and, and from there. And then I talk about a number of other things as it relates uh, to a Ma'atan Cultural Revolution, what is needed, what, what's, what must be done to birth it. And then in the eighth chapter, I'm dealing with the fractal organizational structure, uh, and basically what this is is that um, until now, and I know uh, Chancellor Williams has put forth, um, I think he called it Africanism, and the back of that book, Destruction of Black Civilization, uh, but mm-hmm. putting a structure in place that is based on our history and our cultures as in Africa. So instead of adopting these systems uh, from that were coming out of Europe 
these parliamentary type of systems, government structures and everything, I'm proposing a new structure. And then in the ninth chapter, uh, Maatism and the Monotheistic Religions, and I discuss uh, those religions as it relates from a Maatist, um, a Maatian perspective. Uh, and then in the tenth chapter, I'm dealing with <clears throat> Maatian corporate eco- uh, cooperative economics. And and I define and discuss what that is for the modern fractal economy, and how it can be utilized. And then the eleventh chapter is basically my final thoughts on modernism, or is the implementation of it, and um, and and the nature of the communities that would emerge. So that's in a nutshell. I know that's pretty long, but that's pretty much what what the book. Breaking down chapter to chapter No, no, no That's very significant because The book is is fresh And it's new And some people, you know Folks outside of the, the, the west coast Or whatever might not know who you are And they might just see the book And like, okay, what is it about And so that's why what we just did Was real significant I wanted you to go through each chapter A little bit to to, to just Pique folks' curiosity and let them know where you're coming from. So then once once the book is out and you do all the blasts and everything, folks will have a nice general idea what it's about. And then, of course, later on, you know, we're going to go through, not maybe not each chapter, but go through other chapters and look at it more in depth, again, to, to spark more curiosity. So that's why I just want you to just flow with it to let the audience hear what the book is about and more so, you know, give them more of of the huh, I'm still hyped. Give them more of an idea of who you are. So more and okay. more folks are coming into the chat and into the call queue. So for those in the call queue, if you have a question, just hit one on your keypad. And I see one person has done that, so I'll bring you in in a minute. Um, and if you're in the chat room, just go ahead and type your question in there. Um, uh, Brother Jaja is also in the chat, so he'll see the question. But then for our listening audience, I will read it as well. Um, Sister Liz says hi. Um, Brother okay. Jaja. Tell her hi. Tell her hi. Peace, sister. <laughs> and let's see. Nothing in the chat yet, so let me go ahead and bring on our first caller. Now, don't worry. We don't read the whole number, but to identify, we usually do the um, last four. So 2081, let's bring you in live to Africa's Reascension and our guest, Jaja Malik Atenra. Yes. How you doing, Kamal? This is your friend, um, Everett. Hey, how's it going, Everett? How you doing, man? Um, I actually, I'm not sure what time you started, brother. I don't know if I could ask a question because I have to really listen in to be asked the real legit question. Yeah, I know we just we just started. But go ahead. Oh wow. Um well damn it. Maybe I should sit back and listen a bit. Then when I'm ready, I can probably ask my question. Is that cool? Yeah, sure. So I'll put you back on mute and yeah, stay okay. stay through and bring you in when needed. And All thanks right, thank for you. the support. Mm-hmm. All right. 
So let's see, we got anything else going on? Yep, no, okay. So why so let's let's go ahead and jump in here for a little bit. Um the status of women in in African societies. So that was so important to you that you that you needed to create a, a, a complete chapter on it. So is that significant within traditional African societies as well as today's society that you feel that it needs to be stated that much? Have we missed something? Are we doing our women bad? Clarify that up to why that's such an important piece of your Maatism construct. Right. Uh, so as I stated early, you know, uh, since we have been, um, for the most part, as a collective people, uh, subjugated to foreign ideas and uh, practices, um, the role of women in the African society, we have adopted uh, these Western ideas, right? You know, to the, to a certain extent, women should, you know, let men lead. And and they should stay in the background. Uh, and this is when you look at African history and when you study African history, uh, this is really un-African. That our women play a vital role in our African liberation. And to the extent that women, the role that women play in that liberation, uh, will decide how successful and how quickly our, liber- our African liberation come about. So it's important mm. that we recognize, as especially African men, that we must create whatever we envision, whether it be in this new African government or civilization or nation, that women have a prominent role in it. Uh, and that it just don't be all males, you know, here, here, and a sprinkle of females there. Women must play a major role in the construction of that new African reality that we'll call an African liberation, you know, and what that's going to be afterwards. So it was important for me to not only uh, point that out, but also give evidence of how um, even in our our cosmological beliefs in in many African countries that women roles, that women were vital uh, in maintaining the order and the balance in the the, the universe. So in the book, I even talk about the uh, one Yoruba creation myth that involved uh, Olo Dumare, uh, and Oshun, and um, and 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 how um, the other primordial divinities uh, basically ignored Oshun, and then she went out and gathered all the women together and formed uh, the uh, EME group, which disrupted the order of the universe. Uh, oh, and wow. then the other um, 16 male divinities complained to Olu Dumare 
and advise, and he advised them to make peace with Oshun. And so we Ooh. have it even in our cosmological like understanding the importance of women. And so then I go into talking about uh, a number of other historical women um, uh, in African history. There's there's a lot that I put in the, in this particular chapter, uh, and how uh, important they were uh, in the struggle against our oppressors. So it's it's just you know it's it's a number of things, but it's very important that I put put it in there because. When I get to the fractal, fractal organizational structure, uh, then it would it would make it more clear to why it's structured in a certain way. Got you. I have to ask yeah. you to share this. You, I, I was blessed. You blessed me with a review copy of the book, and you share a very very interesting story in there about Fela Kuti's mother. Could you please share that with our audience? Because when I read that, I, I was just floored. Could you please share that? Yeah. So, um, and and like I told you, abroad I've met many, many, many different uh, people, uh, in particular elders. And there was this one particular uh, elder. He was a retired colonel, uh, the Nigerian um, uh, army. Uh, you know, in the military, and we were just talking, and, you know, I like listening to the elders talk, and so he was basically just telling me about the Biafra War, you know, like what was going on, and I wish I would have, at the time, recorded it because some of the information, you know, I you, you're not going to get in the book. You're not going to get it in printed. This is just, you know, and, and he later, I think he passed away. So he was already very, mm. I would say maybe in his late 80s. And so okay. for whatever reason, um, somehow Fela Kuti came up. So he started to tell me about like, oh, okay, what what happened? And so he was telling me, and I shared it in the book, like he said, uh, like what really happened? So you know, so he was telling me about the time that at the time, um, I think it was o- Obo Sanjo was head of the military at the time, and uh, Fela Kuti was doing all of these songs that were protesting the corruption in Nigeria, the government, you know, and everything, and the and the government was trying everything they do they can do to basically shut. Fella Kuti up And so it's the story That he was telling me He said so what happened was uh, Obasanjo consulted Supposedly Allegedly uh, Some juju priests Because Fella's mother uh, um, Fumi Fumi I can't say Fumi, Fumi Layo Ransom Kuti I just say Fumi uh, she was considered Iya uh, uh, Aje, right? Meaning, like uh, in English, it's mistranslated as um, like uh, I think it's mother of the the witch. When our mother of the witches, like uh, uh, mother of witches, right? Um, okay. But Aje is like the spiritual force. 
And so she was considered very powerful. And so Abusanjo supposedly, according to this elder, consulted some priests, some juju priests there in Nigeria, and said, okay, we're having this problem with Felakuti, but we really, whatever we do to him, we cannot stop him. And they told him, well, you know, that, that, that Simi, Fumi, is actually protecting him. And so mm. he says, well, how do I defeat Fumi? Uh, and supposedly these priests told him that uh, to uh, defeat her, you have to defile her. And so in this case, when they raided Fela's uh, compound, some of the, jo- the soldiers brought buckets of uh, feces and that it was so the story goes that that Fumi actually jumped, I think it's maybe from a two-story compound uh, building, and uh, she ended up breaking her leg, and then she later died. That is the official story. So supposedly um, they brought this to defile her, to throw, throw this on her, to take away her IJ powers. And, and supposedly... You know, it did occur, and so she later died, not of so, a so-called fall, but from this supposedly, you know, thing with the feces and this whole thing with dealing with, you know, this spiritual force. So that, in a nutshell, I go into a little bit more detail in the book, but in a nutshell, that's, that's the story that I was, I was told. So I, I highlight that, but I didn't tell the story to to talk about Fela. I told the story to talk about Fumi because she was very influential in Nigeria and in that she fought for women's rights. She fought against corruption, mm-hmm. uh, and she, you know, she formed uh, uh, women's societies and women type of organizations to uh, protest against uh, the the king or the the chief at the time, so she was a very powerful woman. So I used her as one of the examples of these strong African women that we have embedded in our culture. That if we can utilize them, is that we can work with them as men and women working together as partners. That we can push this African liberation thing through. Beautiful, wonderful. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. Because yeah, when I mm-hmm. read it, I was like, wow, <laughs> it's, this sister is powerful. They got to go through all of this buckets of feces. Wow. So it looks like we have another caller with their hand up. So with your question or comment, uh, we won't read the whole number. It's customary. We just read the last four. Five four zero four. You are live on Africa's Reascension with our guest Jaja Malik Atsenra. Hello, this is Liz. How are you all doing? Greetings, Liz. How are you? Long time. How are you doing? Hotel. Hotel. <laughs> well, I'm good. <laughs> I cannot wait to get the book. 
Mm-hmm. So I know that's going to be, uh, knowing you, it's going to be excellent reading. And then Kamal doing the foreword. I can't wait. So, <laughs> uh, so my question is, you know, I could ask some softball questions just to get stuff rolling. But uh, if I remember correctly, in the layout of the book, you were talking about one of your chapters was speaking on cooperative economics. Now, mm-hmm. did you build on on the, um, the Kwanzaa principle of Ujamaa, and you just expounded on it? Did you come at it from another angle? Uh, how did you address cooperative economics? All right. So we're, we're getting a little ahead, but it's okay. So going from my autism uh, and the the ideology in and of itself, um, we're trying to get rid of just basically wiping away the, this concept of the nation state altogether and starting to look at building communities from the ground up instead of this top-down model that has been presented mm-hmm. that we've been using. We're talking about building communities all around the world, and it's in these communities that will be self-sufficient but also have the ability to trade with other communities around the world that we will be linked up and create our own economy. The communities trading with each other create their own economy. And so we don't have to rely on, um, you know, this, this, this capitalist system, uh, global system, uh, we have one community trading with another community, and that community trading with this community, and on and on and on, and we're linking up. And so that in and of itself creates a, a economy outside of this global capitalist system. So, for example, if you have a neighbor next door, and that neighbor has a neighbor next door, Right there, if you guys were participating in some type of community structure, right, each one of you represent a community, those communities will be able to engage in trading for each, among each other. So it's completely, uh, you know, it's, it's a different way of thinking. And you have to have, you know, we're moving ahead, an understanding of, of myotism, you have to have an understanding of entropy. You have to understand, have an understanding of of fractals or what it is, and so then mm-hmm. you can understand it as it applied to economics. A lot of the things that we see in nature are fractal in their design because this is how in nature nature deals with uh, with entropy. So. Without going into detail, that that right there, just that question is a whole two hours in and on, on of itself. Mm-hmm. So I gave you a little to once you get the book, you're able to sit down and you're able to read it and marinate on it, and and I look forward to all comments and and and, and questions because this is a new idea. And I want to use this as a vehicle to inspire other people to come up with African-based ideologies so we don't have to use these foreign ideologies anymore. 
So if my autism represents too many flaws, I have too many holes and gaps, that's pushing it forward for us to create something that is better equipped to deal with what we're trying to do today as African people. So um, I know I didn't answer it all in, you know, the way you want, but that's a a deep question that requires a lot of dialogue. It's not just something I can answer, you know, in one minute. Oh, yeah, that's understandable. I know when you said cooperative economics, that was the first thing I thought about, and then I thought about Dr. Mm -hmm. Amos Wilson, Blueprint for Black Power. So, Mm -hmm. okay. Okay, well, well, thank you for the question. Do you have another question or? Oh, um, outside of the book, this is just your thoughts. It seems like more African people are waking up. I guess the whole hashtag woke movement consciousness has gotten a a new name and people are uh, bringing things to light and really uh, putting some serious discussion um, Mm -hmm. into um, certain things. So, I guess, what is your take now? Because we all go back, we used to discuss, you know, uh, why can't, you know, African people see certain things, and then now it seems like we, we've hit uh, we've hit a critical mind where people mm-hmm. are like, you have some of our folks waking up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's, uh, that's an excellent question, and I'm, I'm going to try to answer it but I might be a little long-winded on this one. You keep giving me the tough questions, so let's break it down as it pertains to autism. So let's go a little – we haven't got to this part yet, but we can get there Mm -hmm. now. So um, we have this thing called entropy, and entropy is a measure of the unavailable energy in a closed or open thermodynamic system, right? So it's Mm -hmm. also – it can be referred to as the measure of a system disorder. So a community – a nation, your family, and all of these things represent a system. And what that means is, is that if it's an open system, that means energy can go in and out of this system through the boundaries. Energy can go mm-hmm. in and out. Information is a form of energy. So you have you have things and trumpets entropic forces that go into the system that causes disorder. So say a black neighborhood, a black community, we have entropic forces that enter into the community, like drugs, right, like guns, Mm -hmm. right? All of these things cause disorder in the system. And then within the system itself, you have uh, a disorder that is generated, like two people fighting, right? Two people mm-hmm. killing each other. So you have disorder. So you have disorder coming in and out of a, any open system. So what happens is, is that in the past, we have been focused on uh, putting information into the system, right? We put mm-hmm. energy into the system. Information is like energy. So mm-hmm. in order to dissipate the disorder within any system, you need to input energy into the system or generate energy in the system that can be used to order to dissipate the disorder. You got me or you following me? Mm-hmm. Did I lose you? Did I lose you? Okay. 
So now, what we're thinking, and I'm I'm saying all of that to say this. What now, what we have been doing in the last decade or two or three or four is that we've been dealing with the uh, disorder of our communities, of our African nations, by simply, especially in the United States, by just putting information into the system. But unfortunately, that information, which is also a form of energy, is not enough to dissipate the disorder in the system. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Or did I lose you? Okay. So in no, other words, no. let me just say it like this. So we've been, over all these decades, right, we got our communities are in shambles, right? We got crime, we mm-hmm. got poverty, we got all kinds of stuff. And we got brothers and sisters that have been putting the information in the community. They've been doing lectures. Now we have, you know, Facebook and we have blog talk, and we have all of these things that are putting the information into the system, right? We're getting the information to the people. But unfortunately, just that information is not enough to dissipate the disorder within the system. So when you say a lot of people are now waking up, right, that's a true and maybe a true and accurate statement. But that amount of information or energy that is getting to the people is not enough to change or dissipate the disorder within the system. You understand what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? So Mm -hmm. now we're saying, oh, people are waking up. Yes, people are waking up, but is the community changing? Mm. You you get what I'm saying? So we got a bunch of people Mm -hmm. who are calling themselves conscious but we're still, the conditions of the black community are primarily staying the same. No, I was about to say, is it um, more that, I guess it may appear to be the same because things are maybe not connected. You have people doing um, things over here in the community. Like, Say, for instance, and he was not woke at all. It took a sister to get him together, and that's Colin Kaepernick. Mm -hmm. Now, Colin Kaepernick Mm -hmm. has dedicated, he's putting his money where his mouth is. He's putting it into uh, these black organizations. In fact, he gave to the organization I work for um, right now, and I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. But but is it like when you have people that – slowly are, okay, we're going to do this, or you have think tanks, people are getting together, okay, we're going to create this, we're going to create the community garden, we're going to figure out ways to make sure our people are not hungry, or we're going to create this because if our people are struggling, we're going to make sure that their life can stay on, we can do this, we can pay this. I mean, is it, uh, aren't those those changes helpful, even though it might seem like Okay, it's still it's still things are not totally connected, but you have pockets. So, uh, are people okay, trying so, to create safety net? Right. So you're absolutely correct on that analysis. So what I'm trying to get you to to to, to understand, and like I say, we kind of move forward, and that's why we need to read mm-hmm. the book. Is that is that everything is operating as a system? We got people that are putting energy in the system. It could be in the form of information. It can be in the form of money, donation. It could be in the form of 
They're trying to, you know, put an African in the school. It could be all that. But at the same time, people are doing that. The energy is coming in, right? There's also this energy that is creating more disorder. You get it? So for every Colin Kaepernick donation, right, we got people pumping mm-hmm. drugs in the community. You understand what I'm saying? We got people that mm-hmm. that selling guns in the community. So what happens is is that the reason why our communities don't get it together, right, mm-hmm. the reason why our communities don't get it together, I'm talking about as a whole. I'm not talking about a little segment over here, a little group over there. I'm talking about as a whole is because we have an imbalance going on. There's more uh, energy coming in or anthropic forces that are generating uh, disorder within our system, within our communities, than it is this, this orderly energy that you're saying people are doing, you know, this, this donating money, starting organization here. So this is why our conditions remain primarily the same collectively. Tell me the place in America where black people can go and we're not suffering as a collective. Where is it? Which city does it exist in so I can move myself and my family back to the United States? Tell me where it's at. Because if you're in New York, you're in L.A., you're in Dallas, you're in Houston, you're in Atlanta, D.C., Baltimore, you can go on and on and on, Detroit. With the systems, all of these represent systems. And as it pertains to the black communities where we're living at, we find that in our system, there are more uh, anthropic forces that are creating disorder than those that, than the amount of energy that is coming in that's trying to create order. You get it? If you, mm-hmm. That's why I say, yeah. So, so all of that, I'm taking all of those things, and now I'm looking at them differently now. Because I'm looking at them through the lens of my autism, which is based on what I'm just trying to explain to you, is that we have to start looking at these things as a system, not as an individual effort. All of these efforts are collectively uh, is either inputted or outputted from the system itself. And they have mm-hmm. an effect. They're either causing disorder or they're causing the system to be ordered. And once you start to break it down, it's easy because now you can just start to look and say, okay, what does drugs create? A, does it drugs create order or disorder in the system? Right? Illegal drugs. Do gun sales create mm-hmm. order or disorder in the system? Right. Disorder. And you go mm-hmm. from there. So I don't want to be too long-winded, but <laughs> we're so let me, already. Let me on, let me uh, jump in here. I don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. This is good. This is good. <laughs> and this, this may be able to steer your answer towards where I'm hearing that with her question, which ties into one of the questions that I had. So you're not asking, Jaja. You aren't asking people to be conscious or woke, but you're calling for a specific type of consciousness that's needed for African liberation, a revolutionary consciousness. So now, how do you define that, and how can one attain that, and then tie it in with her question? Because conscious or woke, for me, isn't enough. 
it's it's individual level or it's small level stuff. And like you said, we got more negative entropic forces that can just cancel all that stuff out. So you're you're introducing the concept of a revolutionary consciousness, which seems to be a bit deeper. So maybe could you introduce that to our audience? Right. So let's go back to the the basics here. So systems are communities, right? A community mm-hmm. is a system. And mm-hmm. when you want to start a community, you can't start it with little Dre, a little little uh, peanut on the corner, right? Because mm-hmm. the energy that they're going to bring into the system is going to be more than likely disordered energy. They're going to want to be able to hang out and drink their old English 800s on the corner. You know what I mean? They, they're going to be bringing a certain type of energy. So... Our problem has been in the past, at least in my opinion, is that we've been trying to organize all the masses at once. And what we should have just been focusing on is targeting the people who have reached a certain level of consciousness. So, and that's mm-hmm. what, when I say a community, I'm saying building with those people that have reached a certain level of consciousness. Then, once you have that in place, you can bring people through a, a process, a re process, where you can elevate their consciousness. You cannot build a community and you're just taking people that are black and putting them in that community because they're going to bring all of those, uh, those behaviors and ideas that's going to be disrupted to the process of building a community. You understand what I'm saying? That you, mm-hmm. You've been in the process where you try to form an organization, like say the <laughs> ASU or whatever, and you have some people in there that's just messing everything up that you can't get nothing done. Well, so you can't deal with Oof. people like that. You have to be able to. You have to be able to first start with people that have reached a certain level. So the way I define revolutionary consciousness, it is the awakening of one's awareness of the external and internal forces responsible for one's present oppressive condition, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what does that mean in a nutshell? It means I'm looking at my community, I'm looking at this state of this community, and I'm asking myself, what are the forces internally, because we can't blame everything on the Caucasian and the Arabs. What are the things that we are doing that is contributing to it? And then what are the forces on the outside that are uh, contributing to our condition? And then, continuing with the definition, and one's further analysis of an attempt to change it. So it's not just coming into, oh, I'm just conscious, right? A lot of people mm-hmm. put the dashiki on and, you know, they get the locks in the hair and all of this stuff. And I'm conscious, and look at me. I got some cowrie shells in my braids and, and all of this stuff. I got the red, black, and green on. And, you know, I go by, I used to be, you know, John Madison, and now I'm Shaka. You know, it, 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 it ain't just that. It's more than that. So now it is, it's, it's one where you're looking at the forces, external and internal, that are that are responsible for your condition of your people, and you are attempting to change it, meaning you are doing something. 
Not doing something by, oh, I'm going to go to the Kwanzaa event. But you are attempting to do something to change those conditions, to do something to stop those internal and external forces that are responsible for your your people's, African people's oppressive conditions. Mm-hmm. So now how mm-hmm. is that tied, that, that tied into it? It's tied into it. Now, once you got that, you reach that level of consciousness, now we can work together. So that's where my, my autism comes in, is that once you understand the ideology and now you understand that, now, hey, we can work together because we're we on the same page. Too many times mm-hmm. we're trying to get with people and they are advocating some other ideology or idea, right? And we sitting there mm-hmm. battling them. No, I ain't got time for that. I need to get with people that that understand this. That this is this is my autism is based on physics, the laws of physics. So this mm-hmm. is not just an idea of talk. You, these, the concept of my autism can also be validated in the field of physics and science. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, mm-hmm. did I answer all the questions come out? I might have missed something, but <laughs> I'm going to pause right no, now. No, no, that's good. We got to we gotta see. Was that okay? Or you? I'm sure you got to follow up to that. Oh, I mean, I'm just listening. I'm, I'm, you know, asking some open-ended questions to kind of get the dialogue uh, rolling because I do, like I said, you know, since, you know, I came into the information, you know, when we were all together, I have noticed so many years later that the dynamic is changing. Like, for instance, people don't even have a problem talking about white supremacy now. Like, it just, you just spit it out. And that was a term that no one dare really said some years ago. But I don't know if they're defining it the same as those in, in, in the conscious community. White supremacy, as I'm hearing it defined in the mainstream, is just the tiki torch carrying, screaming down, you know, neo-Nazis and all that sort of stuff. Right. When we define white supremacy, it's coming from, you know, um, Francis Crest Wilson, and it's a complete and total system, including action and thought and behavior of mm-hmm. a cultural group using its reality to suppress any other reality and denigrate other realities. That's how we're defining white supremacy, and no one, mm-hmm. can, Mr. Coates or, or Mark Lamont Hill, no one in the mainstream that uses the white supremacy term is defining it that way. So I think there's a difference in definitions on how they're using that term. Mm. Yeah, because uh, we could be speaking about the group, historically the group, or we could be talking about the the, the, the systemic uh, oppression of African people. I take it as some people have spoken on, oh, okay, we're talking about a system that has uh, oppressed African people for centuries, at least that's some of the people I've heard. Or even, let's bring it to the United States, same thing. Now, Brother Kamal, can I add something to that? Um, Absolutely. It's, it's so hap- it's, it just so happened that just last night I 
you know, I, I was just looking at, I, I like to do and, and see what, you know, our enemies are discussing. And I actually saw a, 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 a snippet of something where uh, a white woman was, it basically was a title, I think, Am I a White Supremacy? Or Are You a White Supremacy? White Supremacy? And so the way they was doing it, uh, why she, how they was defining it is that it was okay to be a white supremacist because that just means that the majority should rule. So in the context of what's going on in Poland and what's going on in other parts of Europe and what's going on in America, they have taken that term, and now they're just saying, well, yeah, it's naturally if I'm the majority, if my people are the majority, we should, you know, control everything. We should, it should go through us. We are the majority. So they have taken that term just like they have done many things, and they have co-opted, and they have interpreted the way they wanted to to interpret. So wow. I just wanted to add that add to that. I haven't even heard that. I'm floored. <laughs> wow. Like I say, we we got to be careful when they start using terms that we're using because we know they're not going to define it the same. But now we're at the top wow. of the hour, so I want to take a quick break and dig more into the book. So did you have any other questions right now, or can we put you on mute and maybe you come back in later? Sister Lynn? Oh, no. You can um, put me on mute. I'm listening. I'm enjoying myself. Okay. Thank you so much for the support. And, yeah, if if you have another question, hit one again, and we'll bring you back on. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, we're a little past the top of the hour. Let Brother Jaja take a quick break, and anybody else that want to take a quick break. So we're going to play, um, play some music real quick and then come right back and jump back into the book. Um, if you have a question and you're listening, <clears throat> excuse me, you're listening on your phone, 760-454-1111, 760-454-1111. If you are at your computer, you know, just log in, click the show page, and we've got our chat room open, and you can put your question in the chat. Um, but, yeah, we will right now play, yes, yes, I think it's definitely fitting. Muda Baruka, it's no good to stay in the white man's country too long here at Africa's Real Center. Well, you hear me say no. Without any apology, it's no good to stay in a white man's country too long. <laughs> It's no good to stay in a white man country too long. It's no good to stay in a white man country too long. In the fifties, my mother sister run go England. Now them gone America, them turn American. It's no good to stay in a white man country too long. It's no good to stay in a white man country too long. So you left Clarendon and 
go a Brixton And you check the things cool in a Liverpool But enough power didn't know That things would get a blow It no good to see you in a white man country too long It no good to see you in a white man country too long And I listen the news I get confused A black man shine The Ku Klux Klan It no good to see you in a white man country too long It's no good to see you in a white man country too long If you're white, it's alright If you're brown, stick around If you're black, get back Are you better attack? It's no good to see you in a white man country too long It's no good to see you in a white man country too long Now the fire have a burn The blood have a run At times big pain really tumble down And Peter Tass said, him have a bone a chalice But me said, him should have burned down the palace It's no good to see her in a white man country too long It's no good to see her in a white man country too long Hear why? When you're there, you say, hey sir When you go there, you say, a cup of tea please It's no good Rastafari I know her It's no good to see her in a white man country too long When you say you say hey sir When you go there you say hey mate it's getting late it's no good to see her in a white man country too long It's no good to see her in a white man country too long Now them shoot Regan, them shoot the poor, them shoot after the queen and you take it to a door. It's no good to see in a white man country too long. It's no good to see in a white man country too long. It's no good to see in a white man country too long. Blacks in England, what is your plan? Blacks in England, take the time. Skinny them now, take them crime. Blacks in England, find your land. Cause it's no good to see in a white man for so long. Yes. Very, very true. Welcome back, Africa's Reascension. This is your host, Kamal McCasey Tahuti. Let us bring our author and interviewee back on, Jaja Malik Atin Rock. Greetings. Uh, yes. So that was that was a good discussion. We get to. <laughs> I know every time you know we you, you had these talks and you have the idea of how you want to do it. But then, you know, with the questions, you, you, you got to be prepared to roll with the punches. So I know we wanted to go through it, like, sort of system, uh, chapter by chapter. But so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we're going to work through it. So since we have, let's see, anybody else with their hand up right now? No. 
Um, nothing else right now in the chat. So okay, so let's let's first. Oops. Okay. So let's go ahead and jump into. Well, no, wait. Don't want to do that. Close my eyes. Let's go ahead and jump in. Do do you want to go to my autism right now, or you want to folk? You want to dig more deep into your revolutionary consciousness construct, or we'll roll um, how you want to do it. Well, I think um, what we do need to do is kind of highlight at least uh, my autism um, and entropy and open systems. And and then get into my autism, the the ideology itself, uh, because I think if we jump right into it, uh, then it will kind of lose maybe lose some people if you don't at least have some yeah. idea of what I'm talking about. Okay, so so listeners, so like I said, I was blessed with a review copy. So now it. It's an indigenous African revolutionary ideology. So what he does within the first four chapters is, again, he said he brought he mentioned the significance of culture, restoring the status of African women, African secret societies and oaths, and understanding ma'at and ma'a. So this brother saw that those were four vital areas within our indigenous traditional systems that we need to revise and reuse for the present day. So now, yeah, this will open it up for, for entropy. I really am intrigued, Brother Jaja, that you, throughout the text and throughout this talk, you fuse together the soft sciences, ideology, formation, consciousness, stuff like that, with the hard sciences. Entropy, law of thermodynamics, and, and, and fractals. So, so while I get, so we, we sort of dealt with some specific questions in that area a little bit. How did you come about this very unique combination of idea fusion, and why is it a necessity in your paradigm? Right. Um, well, I always, uh, even in college, you know, I, I was, you know, just a couple classes away from. Uh, getting a a math degree, and I've always been, um, you know, kind of like a, a scientific mind. I liked physics. I liked, you know, um, anything that 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 can be proven scientifically. You know, those types of things. So I was always into those things, and what uh, how it came about is. Um, is just by chance I was looking at a video and this is this might sound crazy, it would be my equivalent of Isaac Newton and the and that I guess what was it, the apple dropped on his head or something, and he got an idea. Right. Is that how it goes? Right. Well my Isaac Newton moment of of was looking at a hip hop video of three young men dancing on the street corner in the rain in Oakland. And, um, you know, I was some someplace in Africa. I, I can't remember exactly where I was at the time. And I was looking at the video, and three brothers took turns dancing. And it was from that moment I didn't just see 
oh, those guys doing some cool hip-hop movement, you know, dances, I saw self-similarity, right? Meaning that Mm. their movement, although they were different, they were all the same. And and that led me into this whole idea of fractals. And then from my research with fractals, I realized that fractals uh, is something uh, unique to African, only African culture. And so there's a, a Caucasian guy uh, who wrote a, a book called, I think it's entitled African Fractals, if I'm not mistaken. And yep. um, his name was Ron Eglesh, I think that's how you pronounce his name. And he did all this research where he was going around and he saw fractals into our art, into our hairstyles, into our in our in in our in the way we shape and build our, 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 our the buildings in our communities and this and then at further further research down the line I realized that nature itself a lot of things in nature nature is structured in a fractal type of pattern and so a fractal okay. is a is a geometric pattern exhibit, exhibiting self similarity in that the small details of the structure viewed at any scale repeat elements of the overall pattern. So, for example, if you had a microscope and you looked at the tiniest thing, it would be structured the same as if you, you know, you, you looked at it with your normal eye. That the structure at the large scale is structured the same way at the smallest scale. Mm. And so this is how nature, in nature, deals with entropy, right? So our brain is a fractal. And you can, you know, if you just want to be a lazy scholar, you can go on the Internet and Google. I mean, they're already doing the research that the brain itself is fractal. The universe is fractal. Right? Right? So they have done all of this research, right, where they realize that the universe itself tends to organize along fractals in that structure, that that structure is the best structure to prevent, right, to prevent entropy from causing disorder. So from there... I said, okay, and all of this happened over a period of time. It wasn't at one moment. And then I started to, to, you know, I have, you know, maybe over a thousand books, and and I like to go back and reread stuff because there's a lot of this information in some some point or another has already been highlighted by previous African revolutionaries and elders, right? So – I remember this quote from Frantz Fanon, and it goes something like this. I don't know the the whole thing, but I think in my book it's on page fourteen. I don't. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the tail end of it, he states, he says, the great danger that threatens Africa is the absence of ideology, and mm. that kind of ring the bell, 
on me. It's like, hold on. I said, don't we have ideology? We have socialism. <laughs> Remember, he was saying this in the 60s, right? Right. And right. most of the African revolutionaries were socialists at the time. Nkrumah, Pekutuwe, you can go on and on, right? Most were, uh, were socialists. It's not all, right? And I said, now, why would he make that statement when he that Africa, the danger is Africa doesn't have an absence of ideology. He recognized that socialism was not the answer, it, and it's not African. That's what I took from that. Hmm. Right? So okay. from there I said to myself, I said, okay, then we need a an ideology. So once again, I'm going back and forth, and, you know, it, not, it doesn't all come to me. And I said, okay, well, let me, I was just reading something out. And then I, I came across a, a, something that uh, Huey P. Newton wrote about, which he called uh, revolutionary intercommunalism. Okay. Right? What he basically said that there was no longer any nation state and that we were all, all nation states were in, in theory, were in practicality, were just uh, subordinates of the empire, which he called this large, you know, with the U.S. and all the countries, basically, that there was no such thing as a nation state and that we were just a large collection of communities, right? Hmm. And so I, I I thought about that. That came into play too, right? It's like our African nations, but well, we already know from the Berlin Conference that the African nation states were created by our enemies. Right. And although a lot of scholars and elders have said that we should get rid of the borders, we continue, the leaders of Africa and the African leaders in the diaspora, continue to keep those borders that were established by the enemies of African people. But we have here Huey P. Newton saying that, that there is no more nation states, that these nation states just serve at the pleasure of the empire, the U.S., Europe, U.K., the Arabs, the, the, the Asians, that, that we're just serving them, meaning our resources, our energy is just serving this global uh, entity called the empire. Right? So all of those things kind of got me to thinking that African people need an indigenous ideology. Something that is rooted in our historical and cultural experience. And that ideology that you came up with was my autism, so that's a great segue. Let's go ahead and define my autism. And and how do you see its global African implementation? 
Right. So uh, my autism is an idea, a world, a worldview, a philosophy, an ideology which seeks to reestablish a Maatian-based civilization by utilizing a fractal organizational structure to organize communities, not nation states, and to eliminate and suppress internal and external forces within those communities. So let's just break it down. What do I mean when I say a Maatian-based civilization? See, there is a reason we always say, uh, you hear it a lot, that in traditional African societies there was no, no, no such thing as prisons and no such thing as old folks' homes and all this decadent type of stuff that we see in the West, uh, we didn't even have a name for it because it didn't exist, right? Right. And why didn't it didn't exist is because we lived by a set of core principles, whether it was called Maatian principles or some other principles, uh, other names, those principles were kind of, you know, they were similar throughout Africa. Right. So even today, there are certain principles and certain behaviors that if you come to Morocco as a guest, you're going to be treated a certain way. You experienced this, Kamal, when you went to Sudan, right? People are going <laughs> to invite yeah. you in their homes, and they're going to, you know, cook for you, and they're going to give you the best. They might not even have mm-hmm. enough food for the rest of the month, but they'll take their money, and they will make sure for that day you have the spread of your life. You yes. have the comfort of your life. See, these are principles that, although in ancient Kemet we call them the, the you know, the um, the Declaration of Innocence or these types of principles, but they are embedded throughout Africa. Right? So I'm saying we established a civilization based on Mahatian principles, are based on these principles that are embedded in if not all, a majority of African cultures. It's only our adoption and acceptance of these foreign ideas, right, that has changed us. And then I said by utilizing a fractal organizational structure, so we'll get into what that structure is, but remember I've always told you, I've already told you that in nature, the best way nature uh, deal with entropy is by using a fractal organizational structure uh, to organize communities. So we're not talking about these nation states anymore. We're talking about communities. Building from the ground up, not from the top down, where we're going to have this political party that's going to control the the means of production, and then, you know, it's going to be distributed equally among the people, which is the basic tenet of uh, socialism, right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about building from the bottom up. Let's build the communities from the bottom up to eliminate what? 
as I, I, I talked about with Sister Liz, these what to eliminate and suppress what? These internal and external forces that are coming into our community, that are coming into our neighborhoods, that are coming into even corrupting our families. All of this stuff needs to be checked. Thus for African cultures and their systems were ill-equipped to deal with foreign ideas, foreign invaders. So if we look at Africa now, that in many cases, a lot of Africa is trying to imitate European and American dress, culture, or they're trying to do it with Arab, imitate the Arab culture. Because we have allowed these foreign ideas, these cultural expressions, to infiltrate our minds and destroy, in that process, destroying our own culture. So we need to deal with the internal Antropic forces. This ain't got nothing to do with the Arabs, the Chinese, the whites. This is African people. There's a, a vast amount of corruption on the continent. A vast amount of killing, unnecessary killing, and you name it, on the continent, done by Africans to other Africans. It needs to be addressed. Just like our neighborhoods over in America, yes, we could say they're putting in drugs, they're putting in guns, and at the end of the day, that's a black person who pulls the trigger and shoots another black person. Hmm. So it needs to be addressed. So we have to rebuild. That's focused on building communities. And my autism gives us a clear path, an ideology, the way to formulate the idea, similar to how socialism, uh, communism, we have now at least something on the table. I have no problem with anybody else coming up with another ideology. The more, the better. But for what I've seen now, this is what is on the table that I'm presenting to the African family. So you've got so, okay. I, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, let's let's try to tease that out. So you've got a community, five, ten families, and they're all doing the forty two admonitions of innocence and they link up with other communities that are adhering to those forty two declarations and and they so and so they keep creating no, they link up with other communities that's doing it, and then they trade amongst one another, and, and, and that's the vision that you're talking about? No, let me go into detail because it's, it's more to that. I mean, it's, the process is similar to building any community, right? So how do you build a community? That, that is the question. And, and what is that when you say I'm building a community? It's not just 
a group of families coming together. That's part of it. But you got to adhere to certain principles, right? The way you're going to function, the way you're going to organize, you have to agree that as a group on the goal of what you're you're coming for. Because you can have 10 families come together and meet, but that doesn't mean a community has been built or you're in the process of building a community. That, That doesn't mean that. That means that that's why I'm tying into this revolutionary consciousness. See, you you got to have people who have reached a certain level of consciousness because communities are being built in America, right? We have African-centered right. communities in America, right? So we know that there's mm-hmm. a process to it. I'm saying we're going to do that process. We're going to build that community if we have to start small, which is probably the best, because you have to start with people who have reached the revolutionary consciousness. Okay. And you cannot build a community until you get, you know, a number of people to be able to start the process. I can walk on the corner by myself and say, you know, I, hey, this is Jaja's community. But guess what? It's just me. <laughs> right? So you it's a process. This is not something that you could just, oh, you put out a flyer and 100 people show up and you say, oh, we're going to build a community. We've tried that, you know, in some some places in America and other parts of the world, right? But what we're trying to do is not just build a community that's isolated, a building communities that are interlinked. So if you have a community in Zimbabwe that is selling shoes, you have outlets for those shoes to be sold to other communities. We're basically building our own economy from scratch. Oh, okay. So if you have a community that's in a rural area and they are growing food in access and I'm over in the city with my community and we need tomatoes and whatever, greens or whatever it may be, I'm getting them not I'm getting them from that community. Because every community, one of the problems and let me go into this because this is needed and I kinda I didn't leave it out of the book, but I left it out of my talk. Right? Revolutionary consciousness yeah, can only, and, and this is my theory, uh, be reached in two ways. Individuals who do not have their basic needs, meaning you don't have your food, clothing, shelter, water, freedom, justice, Right? You don't have all of that. You must first perceive that there is a powerful force preventing you from having it, no matter what you do. Right? Okay. Man, I'm out here. I'm working, man. I'm trying my hard. I'm going. I'm filling out these applications, man. Nobody's hiring me. You know, I can't make enough money. I can't feed my family. I can't take care of myself. Man, you have to perceive that there's a reason for that. 
right? The reason is that there's a system that is set up that keeps you in this particular position. And that prevents you from attaining these basic needs that you need. It's hard to go and try to tell people who have no consciousness to get them to a revolutionary consciousness if they're hungry. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. Like, you got to reach their need at that moment. Man, if I'm hungry right now, you trying to spit some amakaza brow to me, and I'm sitting here hungry. Look, man, I need my, <laughs> I need, you need to give me some food. You have to <laughs> right. meet the basic needs of the people. Because you can't have order in any system or any community or society if the people don't have their basic needs. Matter of fact, the enemies of Africa use this. They know this. They use this as a way to manipulate the order within the system. So, for example, they understand that eventually in a system, a community, a society, a nation, if they don't have the basic needs, the people are going to eventually, what, protest. Okay. They're gonna eventually, eventually protest in some form. We don't have no, we don't have no food, poverty, no jobs, nothing. That's the point of sanctions, right? When when they do sanctions to a nation, the point is to cripple the economy, to encourage the people themselves to get rid of their leaders. Is that what it is, what they do? So what? Zimbabwe, Venezuela. <laughs> right. So the the sanctions themselves stop energy in the form of, you know, them selling the the exporting their product for sale overseas. It prevents energy from entering the system over a period of time or immediately, depending on the state of that system at the time. The, end, the the system will tend towards disorder. They know that they're just using science on us. It's just that many of us have not have not realized what they have been doing. So they say, okay, I'm going to sanction this country, and I'm just going to wait till the conditions get so terrible in the country that the people themselves will uprise and take out their leaders. Hmm. Okay. Or what they can do, and this is how they manipulate uh, revolutions too. I mean, it, it goes deeper than that. I go into it in the book a little bit more deeper. And so they can they can basically stabilize the country by giving it giving it aid, right? International aid, right? It opening mm-hmm. the markets up to that country, right? That's a form of energy that brings order into the system. But at the same time, they can place sanctions to create disorder within the system. Mm. You get me? Okay. Okay. Huh? All right. So, and, you know, that's localizing to American communities. They do the same. When black folks in America are rising up against injustice, because one of the basic needs is justice. People rise up, they feel they don't have justice. 
right? Let alone, you know, housing and all the other stuff, but that's one of them too. So what they do? Hey, what do people do when they come on TV? We need to get some social programs up in there to the, get some money, get some grants, right? They're bringing in right. energy, right? They're bringing in this energy in the form of grant money, in the form of after-school programs, in the form of all this stuff to get the level, to, to, to suppress the level of disorder in the system. Now, they ain't going to make it orderly. They're not going to bring it to order because when it gets to that level, you'll be self-sufficient. You'll be able to, mm. to, to take care of yourself. You understand what I'm saying? But they'll do okay. this little tightrope balancing act where when they get to the point where people might be tending towards revolution, right, chaos, they, they ain't taking it no more. They breaking windows. They, they, you know, chopping down telephone poles. They caught everything, right? When they go mm-hmm. home, mm-hmm. let's just give them some free stuff. They're inputting energy into the system. Once that energy comes in the system, because I told you, the people are not at a revolutionary consciousness. Most people are mad because they don't have their basic need met. So when you see people out there protesting against uh, police brutality, if you give them justice, those people are going to go back in their house for uh, a command. You understand what I'm saying? You give them jobs, they're going to go back in their house. So these protests are not sustained because of the tactics that the enemies of Africa use against them, right? So when the time comes, they'll give you what you need to get you to silence, to to get you to quiet down. Hmm. So let's bring it full circle. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. So what's the question and Colin Kaepernick and what he's doing? Would, could we then say since he doesn't, since he's upset, but he doesn't have a revolutionary consciousness, even though he is spending his money and doing certain things, that's just appeasing folks, but they'll go back to sleep because he doesn't have an ideology behind what he's doing to move him to the next level. Could we go there with it? Yeah, because the second part of this, I didn't get into it. We were talking about attaining revolutionary consciousness. So we were talking about a person initially, the first part, a person who does not have their basic needs met. But the second part of that is an individual who has attained all of his basic needs. So, for example, a person like Colin Kaepernick, who's a millionaire, he's good. Mm -hmm. Just like most athletes and entertainers, they got their money. Even if the masses of black folks suffering, nine times out of ten, they good, right? They got the right. nice cars. They got the, the you know, the houses. They, they can go anywhere they want in the world. White people, are, in, in most cases, will be showering them with love and, and accolades and all of this stuff, right? They're good. So what I say in the book is say individuals who have attained their basic needs, they must be willing to sacrifice their social status, their freedom, their wealth, are one or more of their basic needs for the masses of people against an unrelenting force. In this case, would be this system, white supremacist system, this structure, right? So if they're not willing to sacrifice that, so Colin Kaepernick fits this to a certain extent. 
he was willing to sacrifice $15 million or more. Right? Mm-hmm. How many black folks do you know going to sacrifice that? <laughs> that was something that was done against him, something that was done against so-called masses of black folks, the masses of black people, you know, this this police brutality. Right. Yes, he fits that criteria that he has reached a certain revolutionary because you have, if you're at that level, you have to be willing to sacrifice it. There's no way you can keep it and, and have a revolutionary consciousness. Conscious. Mm. You have to be willing okay. to sacrifice it because they're going to come for you and then you're going to have to make the decision anyway. So Conan right. <laughs> was willing to sacrifice his status, his wealth, all of that that he trained so hard since he was young playing football, he was willing to give it up for the masses of people. That's a revolutionary, because you can build with a brother like that. You understand okay. what I'm saying? See, we have to start looking at it like that. And there's numerous examples. We can look at Che Guevara. He was in med school. And if you read, I go into it in my book, but if you read uh, one of the quotes that he says on the reasons of what opened his eyes, he, it was his travel. And he went around and saw the conditions of the masses of people. And although he was living somewhat good, you know what I'm saying, compared to them, it opened his eyes. He was willing to sacrifice all of that. Okay. He says, uh, this is on page uh, 77. He says, I began to realize at the time that there were things that were almost as important to me as becoming famous or or making a significant contribution to medical science. I wanted to help those people. So he's talking about this. So he was willing to sacrifice it all. Right? So hopefully that answers the question. I don't know. So now we have eight minutes left in the last part of the portion of the show. And would I don't know what your schedule is like. Would you be able to give us some more time? Because we haven't even touched the FOS yet, and I know and I know that's going to take some time. So would you be able to stick around, do some overtime with us? Yeah, I'll do some overtime, especially because that's that's quite important important part of okay. the whole thing. Okay. Okay. So let's. So let me see. No other questions in the chat. Like I said, oh yeah. So we got eight minutes left in live part of the show. So if you want to continue listening live, you must call in because in about seven minutes, if you're just on the computer, that will cut off. So the number to call in to continue to listen live again is seven six zero four five four one 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 seven six zero four five four one 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 one. So since we're doing that, um, let me – so, okay, let me ask a quick question to take up these last few minutes, and then we'll really dig into the fractal organizational structure. So you have talked about revolutionary consciousness. You, you've defined it 
and you've talked about how one can attain it to two different ways. Now, I've been listening to a few blog talk shows and other public speakers. A lot of folks, a few folks seem to be trying to move away from changing hearts, minds, and behaviors of, of, of African folks because they feel it's too hard to do that. It causes too many conflicts, things like that. But you see your revolutionary consciousness idea as paramount before anything else can take place. So why are you, why do you feel like it has to be done when some of your contemporaries are saying it's too hard to change minds and behaviors, we need to focus on other stuff that cause too many conflicts? Well, because, and it's because, a simple explanation, is because my autism, one of the goals is to build communities. Right, and so in order for you to build community, you got to have like-minded people who are focused on the same goal. If you're really trying to build communities, I can't hmm. build with people that have a different agenda, even if they're black, right? If they're African, okay. they so it's 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 quite simple because we're we're cutting out all of this stuff, right? And all of this debating of and and you know I have to um, work with you even though you believe in Santa Claus and the reindeers and but I still have to sit here and try to work with you on on that particular and I'm like no go with the group of people that believe in Santa Claus and the reindeers and y'all do whatever y'all gonna do I'm not gonna stop you or anything. But I need to work with people of like-minded toward the goals that I'm trying to, to, to achieve. So a socialist is not going to go run out and build and try to build something with a capitalist. You understand what I'm saying? You don't see the Catholics trying to create a Catholic-slash-Muslim place of worship together. <laughs> They're in their lane. The Muslims are in their lane. So what I'm saying is, is that we we ain't got time. I mean, to to, to continue all of this uh, dysfunctionality within our community. If people think that their idea is better, go and achieve it. Do it. Why I'm I'm focused on what I need to do with the people that are like-minded. So. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm not focused on trying to change anyone at this moment, but people who want to come into the communities, they either have to accept the program of that community, which is the same, right, the fractal organizational structure, uh, or not. They either have to do it or not do it. But isn't that going so, against the cause for unity? Folks are talking about yeah, unity, and we must unify. Yeah, but what, like I said before, one of the mistakes that we have made is attempting to unify with the masses of African people all at once. Hmm. I mean, we got African people in the same country that that can't even uh, 
talk to each other. They can't even sit down with each other. Can't even they can't even cross marry from one ethnic group to the other. Mm-hmm. Okay. So so what I'm saying is in the state that we're in in this entropic state that we're in, focus uh, on building these communities that that we're going to need to push forward. We're starting from scratch at the bottom, brother. So we got to build up. I got you. All right. Two minutes left. If Again, if you're listening on your computer, uh, the the live portion will cut off in two minutes. So if you want to continue this, 760-454-1111. When we get into our overtime period, Brother Judge Malik Atimra will go into the, the the most significant part of this book, the fractal organizational structure. And hopefully, if we get some time, since one of the earlier callers sort of mentioned it, maybe we can get him to go in depth into it. He has a concept in here called Matian Fractal Economy. And so both of those tie in together, but... We have to deal with the FOS part first before the MFE, Monty and Fractal Economy, will make sense. So with that, 760-454-1111, you got, you got a minute and a half you want to continue live. Otherwise, we thank you and make sure you um, download the show. I want to say probably around midnight. That, that'll be when um, Blog Talk will finish doing everything because it'll go to the archives. But the call queue is filling up. That is magnificent. 760-454-1111. What we're going to do now is play play a little bit of music real quick. Got a minute left. 760-454-1111. And then come back and get back into this. So, Abibi Fahodier, Total African Liberation, Yabedi Inconem, We Will Be Victorious. We'll play some music, come back, and get deeper into Ma'atism, an indigenous African revolutionary ideology here at Africa's Reascension. One book has started a revolution. One book is emptying black churches nationwide. One book has black preachers screaming. How to Make a Negro Christian. www.google.com slash Kamau K-A-M-A-U 301. Join the revolution.
hands. Them there were the good old days. We were inseparable. Never did it cross my mind that we'd be letting go. You was my first love, strong and yet so clean and pure. Can't matter what side the storm, I always knew that we'd endure. Until the big one happened. Massive and unforeseen. Swept his hand across the land. Separating you from me. Tragic and unfair. Took our dreams and robbed us blind. No proof of reconstruction. This the first one of its kind. Over here, up in a strange place Identify by numbers, cause I ain't got no face Don't know my family name, cause I ain't got one Don't know a whole lot of things, but I do know where I'm from I write this letter hoping you still got love for me Cause I don't care how much you change, you're still the one for me Marcus Garvey and Elijah Muhammad They knew I heard you calling Malcolm Huey and Martin Every hood they was hollering Trying to jog my memory about the love we shared They say you used to call me a king Instead of a thug or a player And you can't wait until I get there I heard you change your style Some people said I shouldn't mess with you now Cause you're too proud And what we had is all in the past No more gym based circles while I cheer and dance in the grass Now mind you know I don't believe that shit Right now we putting out fires Distracted and tricked by thieves and Lies and killers To the point my mind's obsessed with dying And yes, it's true, I'm sick and tired of crying But no, I'm not sick and tired of trying I'm heartbroken, and girl, I need your love That's my word, that's all I got I know I'm sounding kind of desperate But you all I got I'm coming home, my
This is your host, Kamal Makesi Tahuti. We're in our overtime period, and I would like to say madasi, madasi, madasi to the folks in the call queue who've been patient, who are here hanging in with us. If you have a question, please hit the number one in your keypad, and I'll see something on, on my studio panel, and then we'll bring you on. But before that, let us bring our host interviewee back in, Brother Jaja. And please, the floor is yours. Break down, explain, introduce fractal organizational structure, which, which for me is a groundbreaking African nation reorganization concept. And if we could do it, then then our future is very very bright. So the floor is yours, brother. Okay. Greetings, everyone, African family. So uh, the fractal organizational structure, I talked about uh, and gave a definition of fractals, and if you've been listening for uh, some time, then um, let me just go over it again. Uh, A fractal is a complex uh, geometric pattern exhibiting self-similarity at every scale. So from if you had a microscope, you looked at the smallest uh, unit of that that organism, you would see the same structure as if you looked at it with your naked eye. So in essence, what that is saying is that our communities will be structured similar to how it would be structured on a national level and then how it would be structured on a global level. So the communities at the local level are structured a certain way by the members in that community. And the communities themselves make up the national structure, but the structure is identical. And then the communities on a national level makes up the global structure. So you have a structure of self-similarity at every level. And why do we do this? is that although you cannot eliminate entropic forces, whether they be internal or external, in any system, just like in nature, a fractal structure gives you the ability, enable you battle to be able to suppress and uh, eliminate Entropic forces within the system. Uh, so let's get into it uh, as a as a, just as a precursor. So, uh, like a lot of things that uh, I've said before, a lot of the ideas that I have uh, expressed in the book have been influenced by uh, previous African revolutionaries who have left these quotes 
uh, and ideas, but uh, many of us afterwards did not really understand them or really give it some complex uh, thought to what they were saying. It really, really didn't give complex thought to what uh, these revolutionaries were saying. So once again, I will read this quote from Huey P. Newton, and he says, A truly revolutionary vehicle, which will survive the repression it encounters daily, is made up of a number of characteristics. First of all, there is a small but dedicated cadre of workers who are willing to devote their full time to the goals of the organization. Secondly, there is a distinct organized structure through which the cadre can function. So this kind of set me on the path, along with all the other things that influenced me, that we needed an African, indigenous African-based governmental, social, economic, and political structure and from my previous uh, comments about fractals, that that structure needs to be fractal in nature. So, um, Kamal, move on, or you want me to? You have want me to pause for any comments or anything? Um, I didn't hear you. <laughs> yeah, no, no one's got a hand raised. There's no questions. No, we we need this concept. Go ahead. Okay, so now, so the basic structure is outlined as this. At the the top of the structure, you have the Council of Mayat, you have the Maat, and you have the Maatan Revolutionary Guard. So let's let me explain those. So the Maat is a position that is held only by females, only by women. And she is the mother of the community, and she has her council of advisors, council of Maat, and she has the Maatan Revolutionary Guard, which their sole purpose is to monitor the anthropic forces within the community, right? whether they be internal or external, right? And then from there, uh, and she's basically the overseer of the whole community. She overseer of the whole community, but the day-to-day operations is ran by the ma, and the ma is uh, only can be held by a male. So we have that balance there. You have that female-male balance in the structure, and the ma itself has a council of ma. And it has, if we're talking on a community level, it has the community defense forces, meaning that if you have a community, you need to have security, right? You have to have security for your community, right, to protect the people, the children, the women, uh, the men, your property, whatever, it needs to be secure. And then from there you will have, uh, coming from that, you will have uh, different um, 
someone who's over education, like a minister of education, health, agriculture, finance, trade, all of that will fall as kind of like the, uh, the, 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 the cabinet or the advisors for the Ahmad over those particular uh, arenas in the community. And then you will have at the bottom, feeding into that structure, the Revolutionary Party. And each, at the local level, each one of uh, the members of the Revolutionary Party is made up of members, a, a elected member from each family. So basically, you have, say you have a community that is made up of 10 families. Each family will select one representative to be part of the Revolutionary Party. And from there, as the community grade grows, these other positions are fulfilled. And it has a structure that a community will be structured at this level, and it will be structured in the same way at the national and global level. Uh, obviously, this is... Uh, more laid out and more detailed in the book, but that's kind of like a short synopsis of the uh, fractal organizational structure. Hello? Yes. So if the negative entropic forces tries to mess with the, one of the one of the families within the structure, within the FOS, how does its, how does its fractal nature um, stop those negative outside entropic forces? Like, give me an example. You're talking about a family. So you have families. All the families are living in the community together. So it's not this okay. idea of this Western entity where you have a family on 101st Street and a family on 10th Street. So we're talking about a communal living environment, okay. which is how okay. it's That's done important. in traditional African society, right? So we're talking okay. about a communal living society. So think of a compound type of setting, and you have security, walls, fence, or whatever. You have people that are monitoring that, and you have the life of the community inside and which is needed, especially in countries like America and other places where African people are the <clears throat> minority. <clears throat> but these communities, okay. I would think, will be at, at a certain level in places where African people are the majority. These communities will be <clears throat> much larger, uh, but we, we don't want to make them a community like the size of a city. It's important to keep the communities on a smaller nature, so so these communities can ensure that the members, each member of that community, basic needs are met. There's going to be no one mm. hungry. There's no there's not going to be any elders walking the street with nobody to take care of them. So this is a vision of what life was possibly like and what it is like in certain parts of Africa now, but definitely in the past where we had this type of communal type of structure where, you know, one of the things 
that I enjoy when I go home, and I'm talking about home, I'm talking about Africa, is this communal type of eating setting. And I know you probably mm. again experienced that <laughs> in your in your uh, travels to Africa, where the whole family <laughs> is eating together. And I'm not just talking about that immediate family. I'm talking about 20, 30 some people all <laughs> sitting around eating together from one mm-hmm. or two big plates of food with our hands. Yep. This is we need to get back to that type of communal living. It's only because we have been under this oppression and we've been forced to live a certain lifestyle where individuals and individual families, nuclear families, have to sit and try to struggle by themselves to make ends meet. Mm. And so even though many African families in America are struggling, many would still prefer to go about that struggle as is than to live in a communal struggle. This is, I mean, a communal setting. This is why it's mm-hmm. important that that consciousness level be risen. You can't bring necessarily people in just off the street. You have to, there's a process that they will have to go to. Once you have your community set up, the structure intact, then you can start bringing in people and they go through a process to become part of the community. And not all mm-hmm. people will be successful. Right, right. Okay, that breakdown of the FOS got, got folks pressing that number one button. <laughs> that is good, that is good. But I just want to quickly say, so, so folks will have to do away with the rugged, rigid individualism to fully be a part of this FOS structure, then that's not correct. Exactly, exactly. We got you would have to leave all that foreign uh, ideas and, and and like individualism and all of that at the door. Like there's no way because that's part of the process that we have to get around. See, you've been to Africa, so you understand what I'm saying. A lot of people in Africa don't even understand this concept of individualism because it's foreign to them. It's completely foreign to them. There's no part of their life since birth where they just thinking as an individual. So what I, you know what I mean? So that's something that mostly us that are living, Africans that are living in a diaspora, that this is definitely a process that we're going to have to go through because we're used to having you know, our own this, our own, you know, room, bedroom, our own this, our own, you know, we're, we're kind of ingrained into that, that type of setting, even though in many cases African people would be more, it would be more um, beneficial if we did live two, three families together. Now, we laugh at the Mexicans when they do it, but those Mexicans are saving their money, they're opening their businesses, their, mm. their landscaping, their mm-hmm. restaurants, and whatever. So then when they get to a point where they can afford it, they don't have to live three to a, three families to a house or two families to a house. They buy their house. Right. Whereas we would right. still be struggling trying to pay our rent, you know, five years later, six years later, the Mexican is rolling around with brand-new trucks and all kinds of stuff 
and we sitting here still struggling because we laughed at them when they first got to the States and say, oh, all these Mexicans, 20 of them living in a one-bedroom apartment. You understand what I'm saying? But they don't stay in that condition in many cases. Right. So we, like I said, we've been in, in captivity for so long, we don't even realize that that is our original state was a communal lifestyle. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's bring in one of the one of our callers. Um, read the last four to get you to acknowledge. Seven three zero two. You are live on Africa's Reascension. Did you have a question or comment for Brother Jaja Malik Atenra? Hey, how y'all brothers doing, man? Peace. Good. Good. How are you, brother? Yeah, my name is Richard. Um, based out of Jacksonville. <laughs> Yeah, I love that point you made about um, the two or three families, the Mexican families. Uh, yeah, that hit home a lot just then. But, um, yes, I'm all about communal living. Um, definitely the goal um, is Africa. But I got a question about, because, um, you know, you was mentioning like a compound setting. And I was, and I was thinking, you know, that works, that works. How you was explaining it Maybe you you wasn't explaining it like that But may, I was thinking maybe A suburban rural area Whereas most black people in my mind Is more in the urban areas Where Where you're talking about Information coming in And if you're trying to set a community in an urban area Like I want your thoughts on Like what would be done To insulate In the urban area Which I think is I'm sure it's somehow it can be done, but like I want your thoughts on that because that's mm. that's where everybody is at, and you would have to okay. be. It's going to be. It's not going to be like an insular community. It's still going to be outside influences. So that's that's right. what I was thinking about. I just wanted your right. thoughts on that. Okay, so in a in a urban excellent question, Chief. So in an urban area, it can take the form of. Say you have apartment buildings, right? Okay. And people of like-minded mind decide, you know what, we're going to all move in this apartment building or we're going to all attempt to buy this apartment building. And so instead mm-hmm. of having a compound, but even if you're renting it, I mean, your goal would be to eventually own, the, you know, if not that building, another apartment building where all the families can move in. I mean, that would be the goal. Yeah. But just say yeah, in the yeah. meantime that, you know, 10 families, 20 families decided to go and live in this apartment building. Mm-hmm. That could be the basis in the urban area where you're saying, yeah. okay, we're going to live in, in this type of setting, but we're going to create an environment where we can still implement this structure. You understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So eventually, mm-hmm. as we get more people in the process, Everybody in the building would be of like mind. And so yeah. then the goal would be mm-hmm. we're going to buy this building and we're going to operate within an urban area. So my, when we're talking about the tenets of my autism, it's flexible. So whether you're in the Kalahari Desert or whether you're in, in New York and <laughs> Brooklyn, the Bronx, or whether you're out mm-hmm. in Watts or wherever you're at, College Park, wherever you're at, 
that you yeah, were able yeah. to do it. If you're in okay. a suburban area, oh, you could do it by block. Because we have those communities. Do we not, anybody in the real estate, do they not have communities that you can buy property into? Do they not have that? Yeah, no, nah, you're right now. Right. No, nah, you're right. right. They have I never forget. Like you, could buy, you could buy a house in so-and-so community. They have it. You're so right, though. No, it's an image of... Uh... Hello? Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. no, I'm listening. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so they have it even in that suburban setting. You can create a community for your... If, if there's Africans with homes in suburban type of setting, you can do that. They have them already. They mm-hmm. have these types of communities. That's already in existence that you can create and say, hey, you know, what's the process where we're going to create a community? And the owners mm-hmm. of those houses in the community, they agree to sell their homes to like to the people they want. That's how they keep them all white or they keep them, you know, whatever they want. So those types of things are possible. It's there, but we have to stop mm-hmm. thinking as individuals and start put, coming together as a people and, and with like-minded people and building these types of communities. Remember, this whole model is from ground up. It's not a top-down model. I'm not asking yeah, yeah. nobody to come in and be a ruling party for the whole night. No, it's, it's <laughs> like wherever you're at, get with those like-minded people that understand what my autism is about, and are ready to implement it and start slowly. There's no need to try to go get 100,000 people. Get with mm-hmm. those like-minded people and you build mm-hmm. your community up slowly. You just gradually build it up. So now you are at a point, once it's, it's operating, you're able to now set up a process to bring people in, into that raise their consciousness into the community. When, to, when you get mm-hmm. to a certain point, you say, okay, we're going to go do another one over here. Hmm. We're yeah. going to go do another right. one over here. Right. Yeah. We're going to go do another one over here. Right? We're going to do one over here. We're gonna, you know, you start to take that model, and then you start, hey, showing people in other places what they can do, that it works. We're going to show people over there. Same model because you can take anywhere around the world and be successful. Hmm. Because it's at the nature of who we are. It's at the nature of who we are. We don't even have to call it my autism, really. It's, it's, it's what makes us African. Mm-hmm. It has no name. But I have to give it a name just so for the rest, you know, because it's a book. But really... It is the it is who it is what that it is what makes us who we are. It's something inside of us that says that when someone comes to visit your house that you have to treat them with honor and respect. That when I see some elderly people in need, I supposed to go and help them and be respectful to that's something that in our Traditional society, nobody even had to tell us. And you know, 
And what you what you're talking about, I see you actually you know, something just came to my mind, a lot of other races actually do that. And I don't know why we so slow to actually finally come to the conclusion to do that now. Right. I, I image came back to me where um, I used to um, work for this roof supply company. You know, you load, you load the roofing material on the roof and mm-hmm. stuff. I was on top of this roof in this um in the subdivision. Man, I was looking around. I'm on top of the roof. All the backyards. It was the cul-de-sac. The whole cul-de-sac. Mm-hmm. I'm noticing it. They was not. All the gates were separated. There was no gates separating the houses. All of them. You wouldn't tell it from the outside and the front of the houses. Cause they're separating mm-hmm. the front of houses, but on the top of the roof. The whole cul-de-sac, I could see the whole cul-de-sac. It was separated in the back of them. They, now, I don't know what they were. They was Asians. I don't know if they were Chinese, Japanese, whatever. But I'm looking at the backyard. All of them was connected. I seen this person over here walking this person's house. This person chilling over here. The whole, they had mm-hmm. the whole cul-de-sac. Exactly what you're talking about. I forgot all about that. Still. That, that just came back to yeah. my just now. Yeah, that's they, they absolutely have it. <laughs> I'm gonna put a like like I'm I, I don't highlight this in the book, but I'm just just show you some of the research that I've been doing. I'm going to put up a link in the chat, and these are a number of different types of communities that are self-sufficient. That uh, Caucasians in particular are building. Let me just get the. They are building and, 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 and give it as free knowledge on building various types of communities uh, in different settings. And if you go and look at this site and structure, so a lot of this they already know. That I'm, see, we, in many cases, we're coming late to the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they already then came up with this these types of concepts. And they already building these self sufficient communities that are yeah. that are based on um you know certain models that they didn't stole not from their culture. They didn't went around the world and saw how other people were living and started to build cities. I mean communities, I mean, that are based on these structures. And uh, at some point, I will I will put it up in the uh, in the chat, and then uh, you can go and take a look at it. Uh, but it it blew me away that I was like, man, they already doing it. They already mm-hmm. doing it. Like they got communities, and you look at the designs. Most of the designs of these communities. Are African-based designs of, of of structures that they have copied, basically, mm-hmm. uh, around the world and uh, from African countries. So I'll put it up there when I get a chance, and uh, within the next minute or two, I'm just trying to load some on the computer, but I, I'll put it up there. But uh, thank you for calling, yeah. brother. You got any more comments? Um, not right this second, but okay. Yeah, so yeah, you, oh yeah, are I you in the chat? I are you in the nah, chat? No, I'm I, I actually not. I'm not even. I don't even have a profile yet. 
Like I oh, uh, okay. I, I popped I popped up on this um I seen the post in the B A B A I O uh, form okay. on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I just popped and I just um Yeah, I be listening to B A I O on YouTube. I actually um I said I was gonna make a profile so I could start catching everybody live. And then I mm-hmm. saw I saw your post and I started I popped I said let me check this out. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, definitely, uh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. The book. Yeah, the book sounds interesting, man. I, I'm definitely looking forward to um, buying it. Yeah. So look forward sometime next week. Uh, you can go to lulu.com. My autism. M A A T I S M. It'll be up in mm-hmm. there, and uh, you and and uh, you definitely give me some feedback on it, man. I'm looking for all the the different critiques and everything because, like I say, this is just setting the table. If, if somebody got something yeah, yeah. greater. Uh, uh, I'm all for it, but right now it seems like that uh, we're just still stuck with all of these uh, foreign ideologies and trying to utilize them and blacken them up and Africanizing them to mm-hmm. make it uh, the ideology for the African Revolution. But I did, for anybody else listening that's in the chat, I did put the website of some of the communities and the designs of the communities that the, the Caucasians are already doing. And when you go there and check it out, they have about four different types of villages and, and structures that they are building. And, it, it I mean, they're way ahead of the game. Self-sufficient yeah. type of thing. So they're, they're way ahead of the game when it comes to that. So check it out uh, if you're looking. But thank you, brother, for calling. And, uh, and I look forward to getting any feedback from the book when you get it. Okay, yeah, I appreciate it, man. All right. All right. All right. right. Thanks for the call. I'll put you back on mute. There we go. All right, so for everyone that's not in the chat, the link is basically onecommunityglobal.org. That's all one word, onecommunityglobal.org, and then there's some more to it. It's um, what is an earth bag village, and then and and so then yeah, you can walk through if, and if, if they go to if, the one community global, if they go to the one community global, that'll bring them to the the home page, and then they just mm-hmm. hit uh, the do a let me see here, uh, just go with the uh, the open source foundation. Uh, link that's uh, at the top, and they give you uh, the seven highest good housing village design, and there's different types. And when you look (laughs) at them and you go into um, looking at the different designs, they're already building these communities. So it's possible. Uh, Now, we might more than likely are not starting at this level, but I mean they got treehouse villages. Just to show you that they they, they way on on, the, on 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 another level. They got shipping container villages. They got earth bag <laughs> villages, straw bale village, compressed earth block. So they already building these types of communities. And we don't, nine times out of ten, we don't have the resources like that uh, in this part of the world. But 
uh, this Earthbag Village looks like it's from Burkina Faso that they actually stole the structure. Are you looking at it, Kamal? That yeah, because the, even the houses are like round. <laughs> That's what I said. They the little units are round. Well. They're not even square. There's never been but, any round housing structures in the history of Europe. So, damn, yeah, they stole that from us. <laughs> never. So now you see what I'm talking about. <laughs> Always been a damn square. Have, everywhere. Have you, have you looked at the treehouse village? I mean, they're already doing it. 51 wow. residential units. 21 visitor units. You see what I'm saying? Like, they weigh a Only requires one acre. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. They're way ahead of us in this game. We just started out. Mm-hmm. And these are self-sufficient villages. They try to make them as self-sufficient as possible. So we have to create models within urban areas that are successful. I gave you one proposal. You know, take over uh, um uh, apartment complex, but it could mm-hmm. be just mm-hmm. occupying, you know, an acre of land and 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 building structure. It it all depends. It is it's flexible enough because you know what the goal is. You know what you're trying to create, and it will it will be different. Just like on this website, they're giving you eight different models. There might be eight different models on how to build a structure within an urban area. New York uh, might do okay. it differently than, than Los Angeles. Los Angeles mm-hmm. might do it different than Dakar. Dakar might do it different than Johannesburg. You know, it might be different depending on your geographical location uh, uh, and the available resources what you can do, mm-hmm. but you know what the structure is going to be. You don't have to call it Ma'at and Ma. The names are interchangeable. If you Zulu, give it some Zulu names, but keep the structure intact. Right, right. You understand what I'm saying? Call it whatever that's, you that's, want to call it, but keep the structure intact so it can it can it can be. Uh, flexible to any culture. You don't have to call it the principles of my art. You got them already in your traditional culture. Only thing you have to do is you're going to look. We didn't go over it, Kamal, but you tell me which African culture. Let me get to it. I have not robbed with violence. You're going to see that in almost every African culture. Mm-hmm. Do not steal. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? That, these are not nothing new that's going to be so far out that, uh, you know, that one culture, can, it cannot be adopted into another culture. But these are just the principles. But those principles, those principles are flexible for any culture because it comes from us. Right. It comes from us. It comes from us. So... Yeah. So now we got 20 minutes left in the overtime. I was really wanting to get to the Ma'ati and Fractal Economy, but I think Everett has raised his hand again, so he may have a question. So let's go ahead and bring the brother in, 5404. 
You're live, brother. Brother Everett, is this you? Uh-oh, maybe he wasn't ready. 5404? Hello? Hi. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, welcome to Africa's Real no, Central. Please state your name, where you call it for. Oh, oh this is uh, this is oh, okay. Liz and oh, that, oh, so you do have another question? <laughs> well, yeah, and 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 more of like uh, questions slash like comment uh, commentary, and then of course uh, bring it up for discussion. Now, um, I got a lot of points uh, from when Brother Malik was speaking, and of course it's. Uh, it's it's safe to say we were talking about African people like we're considered, you know, the man to man or human to human relationship and of course, uh the European or uh Caucasian is the, the man to object uh relationship. So, um Okay. So um my some of what he was uh talking about I definitely agree with. Now with the communal uh aspect are you um let's see how do we start off? All right. I know we wanna meet, um, we wanna have our terms, Africa and African people on their terms. And he was starting out saying, Oh, hey, we need to get rid of these um these uh install political boundaries. We need to go back to the community and building from there. Now with building uh, it won't just. It's safe to say it won't just stay the community. That that's one of the the, the, the smallest things in the uh, in the equation. It eventually jumps to you'll probably have a country or a nation state. Now, um, can would it? Can we look at erasing the boundaries that were installed not by us, but setting up our own um, boundaries, our, our own eventually it will grow into uh, a nation state because a community will get larger than a community and you will eventually have to have governance. And it made me um, reach back to, Af- uh, to Kemet in the African Worldview book uh, edited by Karanga and, Co- and Corruptors. And they were uh, in the essay. It was like um, um, it was basically saying comedic wisdom of governance, and it developed in the context of a country rather than a city. So, uh, with those things in mind, would we be looking forward when it starts growing past the community? That was I was I clear with the question? Uh, yeah, I can answer the question. I, I thought Kamal had something to say, but if you want to just get to me, I can't answer it. Well, I was just going to oh, say absolutely when I'm looking through it. He was speaking on the local level, but he definitely does have a, a national level structure, which is duplicated from the local to the national and then from the national mm-hmm. to the international. So all of those levels are there and they're duplicated because they're fractal based. But I'm sure now he'll go deeper than that. Yeah. Uh, 
And I, and I pointed it out uh, earlier. Uh, maybe I, I meant you missed it, or I didn't. Uh, I wasn't clear. Is that um, communities eventually a collection of communities will create a a, a second tier at the national level, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say, you, okay, you're in New York, right? And say in New mm-hmm. York, there's 50 communities, right? Mm-hmm. So for that region of New York, there will be on like a national level where each community mm-hmm. contribute to building the structure at the national level, at that level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right, and all of the different national level communities will contribute to building up the global structure, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. in in essence, it's 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 taking communities from a local level, which help create it on a national level, and those national level communities create the global structure that is needed. So now we're interlinked around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and in some cases, it's probably better that when you do get the book, because I do go into it more in detail, and there's a visual structure there and mm-hmm. at the local, national, and global level, and maybe that will give you, it will clarify things a little bit more um, for you if, if, if my answer is not, uh, if not doing it for you. Uh, but... Uh, so it is in the structure that you will have it at different levels. But the nation-state concept itself is a creation of the European mind. Right? Let me say that again. It is a creation of the Europeans coming from their culture, their history. They put that structure into Africa. And so as long as we stuck on the national state, even the nation state concept, it's not even compatible with a pan-African vision. Because what is that saying? If we're trying to push pan-Africanism, unifying all Mm -hmm. African people, nation states, Mm -hmm. the borders are gone anyway. Right? They're Mm -hmm. gone. So that means people on the continent would be able to go anywhere they want to go. Just like in Europe now, they created a Euro, a thing called Europe. If you got a Spanish passport or whatever, you can go anywhere in the Europe because it's all one entity now. You talking about uh, the EU, like that? Yeah, the or, EU. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, not like that. But I'm giving you just an example that. The vision of a pan-African unity, when we say pan-African unity, what mm-hmm. is that saying? That means all the people are unified under, you know, a, a certain structure, right? So if you have a certain structure, the European structure that is in Africa prevents the unity from occurring. You get it? That this nation-state structure, which is a creation of the European mind, prevents mm-hmm. African unity from happening. So why would we go and create another nation-state structure along the same line? It has to be different. Well, I don't think of the nation-state in the European concept. I just thought of it like nation-state and country as interchangeable. And the issues are with 
the borders and how they run? And would we be able to have unity if we redrew them? We still have our countries. We straighten out what has happened, how these borders cut uh, through these uh, ethnic tribes. And you have a lot of fighting, a lot of conflicts going on uh, at the tribal level. And but you still you set up your government where it's still Africa on Africa's terms. We have the we have the countries that have been redrawn. Uh, we still have you know it builds from the community, but you also have you know the governmental structures. You, you still have you still control maybe your population. Um, also, you still you dealing with trade as well because it's not just trading with us. We would still have our terms where we're trading with others. Hmm. So what I'm saying is, yeah, that's an interesting. But what I'm saying is that with communities, each ethnic group they can have their own community, but with the same structure. Mm-hmm. These artificial lines that the European drew, the populations are so uh, ridiculously messed up in some countries as it pertains to the different, the, how they drew the borders. Is mm-hmm. that we got to get out of this. Did we have borders drawn before Europeans came? Well, I would, Was there uh, such a thing? Well, couldn't it be argued that uh, the kingdom had borders? You knew where Poop started and where Kemet ended? Yeah, by natural barriers like rivers and mountains and whatever. But even those mm-hmm. things vary depending on the movements of the people. Mm-hmm. Right? So some people were suffering from famine and they ended up migrating to other parts of Africa. Mhm. You know, so there's a so what are we going to base the borders on? Are we going to base them on the where the people are living at right now? Because what happens is if there's famine in one part of Africa and say in this country, this new country with the new borders, and the people decide to move across the borders, to the other country, then maybe the people in the other country will not accept them because they say, nope, this is our land, and you got to go back to your land, even though there's no water, food, or whatever, uh, and that would create maybe conflict. But a country with no borders, meaning every African have the right to move freely wherever they want on the continent. Right? Isn't mm-hmm. that what we do in America? Don't we have that concept in America? If you want to move from California to New York, can you? Yeah. yeah. Even if you're not a native <laughs> New Yorker, you can move to New York. If you're a native New Yorker and you want to move to Texas, you can move to Texas. Mm-hmm. So why are we going to put these type of artificial borders in Africa when we're trying to create a pan-African unity, when we're trying to create pan-African unity? What would be the the purpose of it, other than to keep people out? <laughs> There's something to do. I'm not saying I have all the answers, 
But this is the type of stuff that comes in my mind when we start talking about, okay, we're going to get rid of the European borders, but then we're going to redraw some new borders based on what? Because a lot of the people that are in the borders now in, in these countries would not be there if the Europeans wouldn't have forced them to settle there. And I'll give you an example. We got, there are Somalis we got six minutes left, Joe. Okay, there are Somalis that are in Kenya, right? Mm-hmm. And there are Somalis mm-hmm. that are in <laughs> Ethiopia, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. because these borders was drawn, right, mm-hmm. you know, the people got split up. You have, um, you have like uh, Benin, the country Benin. You got a lot of mm-hmm. them people in Nigeria. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So it's like, it's like these, so how do you even go about redrawing the borders? What is it based on? The, where the people are, maybe the people are going to move. Then what? Mm-hmm. Just like we move in America, maybe the people say, you know what? I heard life is good in New York. Let me move to New York. Hey, I heard that the fish down here in Sudan is bigger than crocodiles. Hey, we need to move <laughs> up to Sudan. You understand what I'm saying? You know, or what is now Sudan. You know what I mean? So, how do I, I'm just asking the question? How would we redraw the borders of Africa, based on what? I, I don't know what you would base it on. I'm not saying ruling it out. I just want to know what would the borders, the new borders, be based on? I mean, it's just so. always been a topic for discussion when we uh, speak on nation building, and some people mm-hmm. have, you know, said. Yeah, I do agree we need to get rid of the European borders and, and draw our borders on our own terms. Mm, yeah, and so next time you're in a discussion and somebody bring that up, you ask them for me, what would those new borders be based on? Would it be based on where the people are at the moment? Because they may be only there because the borders were drawn and they can't go back. You go ask the Somali in Ethiopia, if they would not want to be part, the Ogaden area want to be part of the larger Somalia, they would say yes. So that's what I'm saying. What? How? How would it be? I don't understand how how you would base it on. Base it on what? What would be the basis of it on? I don't know. I'm at a period okay. now, so I know you count the minutes. Fred, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at that. That's fine, that's fine Because I want you to sum up everything So I'm going to We're going to have to table this discussion For a later date, maybe we bring you back Once the book is out And get you to talk some more on some stuff But Sis Liz, if you don't mind I'll put you on mute Oh yeah, we can talk offline (laughs) Okay Okay, no problem All right. so yeah We got about two minutes left so, yeah, well, your contact information for folks to get the book and sum it all up for us, please. Okay, so contact uh, right now, you can just reach me at jajamalik2000 at yahoo.com. Uh, and then uh, I have to check to make sure the email is up. 
But if not that, it would be Jaja Malik at myautism.com. So either or, one of those two you can get me. Uh, and the book should be available for sale uh, November 25th. Uh, you will be able to uh, purchase the book for sale. Uh, and just last out, to sum it all up, the purpose of me uh, writing this uh, book and taking on this endeavor is to provide a clear understanding and path for African people to attain a revolutionary consciousness and to lay out the blueprint for building African communities based on the fractal, fractal organization structure uh, as outlined in the book. So that is the, the, the main goals of this work. It's an introductory work, uh, and uh, hopefully in the future there will be uh, more uh, writings, more books uh, that will go more in detail uh, on the applications of it. And my autism. So uh, hopefully this will just get your mind, the wheels in your mind turning uh, to try to think outside of the the box, uh, and uh, and let's let's move forward uh, with uh, trying to uh, relieve Africans of over two thousand years of oppression uh, by foreigners. So. Uh, that is my last comment, and uh, thank you, Kamal, for having me. Uh, it's been a blast, and uh, keep up the good work, uh, and uh, I'll see you on the battlefield. All right. Thank you for coming on and sharing with us my autism and indigenous African revolutionary ideology. As he said, hopefully next week it should be out at lulu.com slash myautism. I think I got that right, M-A-A-T-I-S-M. But you all can hit me up, and and if you want more information, I can shoot it to you once it's 100% out. And he shared his um, contact information as well. So please, in about 10 minutes, the show will be online for archive.